have I got a short story for you. The City That Never Sleeps is home to one of the world's best film schools, where anyone can take as big of a bite from the cinematic industry's apple as they please. Don't choke. But first, a word from today's sponsor, AndrePsyche.com. AndrePsyche.com is the cute, quaint corner store boutique with all sorts of neat and original merchandise you had no idea existed because it's a tiny shop. Google ain't trying to get you there, but the getting to know you pod is. And when you get there, what will you find? Literature, clothing, paintings, prints, accessories, music, poetry, podcasts, all waiting for you and your thumb to click. Best of all, though, Andre is a freelance creator extraordinaire, and he will make any custom gift that your soul desires. Just message him with the tweets. So go to andrepsyche.com. Did I just say tweets when I tried to say deets? That's what I get for trying to like subtly be cool and slip that shit in. Send him the details, and he will properly format your desires into a tangible object. Go to andrepsyche.com. Let your spirit guide you through all of the options. You're going to find something worth checking out for the same reason we here at the Getting to Know You pod love his site, because each and every item has a story behind it. Nothing is made. Everything is created on andrepsyche.com. We are also brought to you by the Getting to Know You pod. If you're listening to this short story, do us a favor. Push the subscribe button in whatever app you already pushed play in. Also, friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. And finally, we are seeking sponsors to partner with. We are downloaded all across America and in countries around the world. Shout out France. Whoever's got us up to like 200 downloads in France, appreciate you. Appreciate you. Wish I knew how to say it in French, but we appreciate you. So if you have a band or band, brand or business and are looking to increase views, clicks, encounters, purchases, message us through any of our social media. Our rates are extremely reasonable. And if you are looking to support the Getting to Know You pod without advertising on it, go to our Patreon. For as little as $2 a month, your sponsorship helps us to continue getting to know people. And now. Getting to know just a little part of you. Hello. Getting to know you. Getting to know all about you. I'm going to do a terrific show today. Getting to like you. Getting to hope you like me. Because I'm good enough. Getting to know you. Putting it my way, but nicely. I'm smart enough. You are precisely and doggone it. my cup of tea. I, w- I went to NYU, and after I went to school there for film, I, w- I worked there to. I had just a great experience. I, I continued working, and I would I would sit in on grad film classes, and you, you know, can sort of continue my film education while I was working there. And one of the things they bring in these directors, these working directors. Arthur Penn came in to work with some um, film students who were um, about to, they cast their film and they were about to shoot. Arthur Penn directed Bonnie and Clyde and um, a few other, you know, great films. And he has this background in 
the actors, you work with actors, studio actors, improvisation, you really admire it. You know, you really like the improvisational actors, that, that thing. And what he did is he, he had a, a director come in with his actors and block the scene in front of the, you know, theater and just say, okay, where, where's step, you know, where are your, where are your lights going to be uh, block it, all that stuff. And he had the, <clears throat> he had the actors perform. And then afterwards, the scene was over. He asked the director, how did that go? And the director said, yeah, it was almost there. I don't know. We need to run it a few more times. And then he said, okay, that's great. Have a seat. And he asked the actors, <laughs> what did you think of that? Yeah. Uh, it was good. Um, I, I, I think I, I think I work on a few things like, no, no, no. What, what didn't work for you? Forget about the director being here. Forget about the film students being here. What didn't work for you? And they were just a little more, you know, honest because they wanted to please the director. Yeah. They hadn't quite started shooting yet. And they, you know, for all they know, they could be cut. Right. I mean, mm. there's this sense of you got to protect yourself or you know, artistically. And, so they, but they, they let their guard down and they said, here's what I don't understand. Why am I saying this? Why am I here? Why would I be at this cal? You know, like all these kind of questions came in the other, the other actor was like, yeah, I agree. I, okay. He said, okay, so here's what I want you guys to do. I want you to forget about the, the blocking. I want to forget about the where blocking, meaning where the actors stand at certain points for certain lines. So I want you to forget about that and do the scene again. Forget about us being here. Just do the scene again. And the actors did it. And they, they were, you could see they were gravitating towards those marks the director gave, <clears throat> but the performance everybody agreed was better. And then he talked to the act director again. He says, yeah, I see, I see something coming here. I see some, you know, I see, um, this is getting better. Okay. That's great. What about the actors? Yeah, I still, I, I still don't quite get it. And he said, all right, I want you to forget about every line of dialogue i want you to forget about every preconceived <laughs> thing you have about this scene run the scene <clears throat> excuse me and uh and they did and it was the essence of the scene it wasn't necessarily what they would want to film some directors like to film this but it was liberating for the actors and he, arthur penn said at the end of it to the director look at that that was magic he said and the director quietly nodded, said, you're right. That's what I want. But it took him a while to say that. He just observed what was happening. And, and then what I got from that is, you know, not every scene should be directed like that. And that's not how every act, director would work. I mean, I, I don't know that Stanley Kubrick would do that very often. Or maybe he, he does have an improvisational quality from what I understand he did for, you know, in his films. But the idea was that you allow, sometimes you are, you are, um, you are m the most um, able to make sure your plan is going the best it can when you're have this pass when you're passive <laughs> right. in a way, and you let down sort of some of the architectural plans go, keeping the load bearing kind of walls in place yeah. to open things up for everybody. Well, you're because trusting also a professional. I think yeah, you're right. Like so, and it can be scary. And I, I hadn't thought right. about this either. But if people are auditioning or acting out. So I also coach middle school basketball and oh, really? everything you were saying is exactly the philosophy of middle school basketball. Like I don't go into a season being like, this is what we'll do. We have tryouts, we identify strengths, weaknesses, and then we see what kids can do. And then we're like, how can I put you in a position to succeed? That's kind oh, of the philosophy. Really? And um, okay. when you're talking about pulling back, 
the load bearing wall is there, right? Because it's like, Hey man, we got to establish the conflict in this scene, but you got to trust that you made the right choice in actor, actress to fill the void that you're going to step back and create, which can be kind of scary. Cause I would imagine most directors are kind of like control freaks. <laughs> Yeah, you would almost have to true. be just to get shit done, right? Like there's so yeah, many variables. Yeah, I mean, you could say control freak. You'd also say you have to care yeah. a lot because you are going to put an insane amount of work right. to get it finished. Yeah. So yeah, you you're just you you got to have that mindset. But uh, but I'd be curious to hear what you, you meet you when you coach these kids. How is there this? openness and this plan because things have to work right you have to a play has to be executed how are how are you able to have that improvisational element and i like i balance there and i'm gonna gonna speak speak. as if i'm an actual coach and i like to mock myself because i'm a middle school coach and what the fuck is a middle school coach i've i've spoken to um some d1 coaches um i've spoken to uh guys who have trained nba players I've spoken to um, people who establish like training programs and I'm nowhere near on their level. But one thing that is in common is you're not on the court. So it's super important for not only you to know the kid's strength and weakness, but for the kid to understand their own strength and weakness, the player. So I've found sometimes that you just have to let the kid fail. You have to suck it up, eat it up. You have to set up a situation almost where they're going to come to a realization of, oh, that's not good. I'm, I'm one for 10 on jumpers. You're like, yeah, hey, hey, man, you're one for 10 on jumpers. Your team just lost by 12. Remember when we do these layup drills and you really don't care? <laughs> um, are you scared to go in and lay up? Is that why you're shooting all these jumpers? Because you're not making them. And we kind of got to put the ball in the hole for you to stay on the floor. So how are you trying to put this ball in the hole? Okay, well, I really like the jumpers. Yeah, but you're one for 10. And now if we go right-hand layups, man, you're what, eight, eight for eight. So maybe we can work on the up fake. So when we do these up fake drills, can you care? So that we can get you to a spot to score. And then when we're doing jump shot drills, are you going through it at game speed or are you just flicking it up? And you just try to put the onus on, hey, man, you have the opportunity to get better. Are you yeah. taking advantage of it? This is your strength, right? Or what's your goal? My, okay, well, my goal is to have a jump shot. Great. Are you there yet? No. Then we probably shouldn't be taking them in a game. Do them in practice all you want. And that that's uh, the empowerment, the relationship, the communication would seem to be, you have to establish that trust. And it seems like the actors and the directors, there would be that awkward like dating courting period <laughs> where it's like, <laughs> do I trust you? Do you have my best interest in mind? Are you putting me in a way that, speaking from the actor's perspective, it would be like, are you putting me in a position to succeed or am I going to look stupid on camera? I would yeah. feel that's a huge fear for them because your name's there, but it's like their face and their words. And like, it's their next job, how people take what they did. Anyway, I, like I, I've never been on a set, never really spoken to a professional actor or actress, but like, I feel it's very similar to a sports athlete having to trust a coach. Sure. Yeah. I never thought in those terms, but absolutely. Yeah. You have to put them in a position to succeed. And maybe even have the conversation like you're having, because you're, you're, you sounds like what you're, you're allowing the kids, you're having, you're asking them questions that you, that you have the answer for. Yeah. Oh, right? dude, that's the you're, only reason you ask a question. Like one of the yeah. sayings I love asking is if the answer was no, I wouldn't be asking the question. 
<laughs> so if a kid looks at you and they're stupid, I'm like, I'm gonna give you a hint, man. If the answer was no, I wouldn't be asking you the question <laughs> kind uh, of a thing, you know? And, but yeah, the, but I think that's what someone with a vision who has to spread that vision out, who has to take this abstract concept and make it tangible, make it visual. They have to be good at that, right? Like to be good at your job as a director or a coach or a teacher, you have to get buy-in from the people who are producing. You're not the one producing, even though you're a producer, <laughs> you're not the yeah. one on screen, you know? Yeah. Right. Well, <clears throat> I think um, it's also a really exciting time to make movies and, and, and television and, and YouTube videos and things that are, that have, a, you know, a narrative thread to them beginning, middle and end because um, now in the, in our, there's, there are no barriers between you and making your film. And that's really in this 21st century, you know, we have these cameras that are cinema quality that look just as good as, you know, most people would agree. Some people would argue not, but they look just as good as the cameras you would thread you know, expensive 35 millimeter film through like a sewing machine and have 10 minutes of a reel that you can, that weigh a couple of pounds that you can hold in your hands and run for an hour and a half. You know, for example, if you wanted to, and you can be as, um, you can be as, uh, you can work out a masterpiece, if you want, of choreography, of, you know, of, of, of blocking, of, of uh, shot design, or you can just shoot wild and see what you get. The point is that this is a really exciting time for people who want to do it. Yeah, and um, I, was just, I, I can't believe you shot nothing without you with one camera. Like, I had no idea that you did that thing with one. That's a talk about a money saver. Wow. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the, we shot that on a camera that was, you know, that changed everything. It was called the Red One, Red Digital Meat um, Cinema is a company that make cameras. They're a big player now, but back when they first started, they had a camera that was $17,500 for the base. And oh thinking God. about it now, that sounds like it is a lot of money. However, the alternative was <clears throat> there were a couple video there was Cine Alta and there was, I don't think Ari, Ari really had their camera that was uh, really useful, but it was film or it was this camera. And <clears throat> uh, Deborah Granick made um, a winner's bone with it. I remember in an interview, she said, it's the yes camera. <laughs> what that camera did is that brought down the barriers. When you have it, you're shooting digitally, you don't have to change mags, magazines of film. Okay. It sounds like a little thing, but there's there's a division of labor that's needed with a, a film camera. You can do it on your own. We did it with American Chain Gang, where it's just me and an AC, and sometimes I didn't have it. An AC is an assistant camera person. But there's there's this um, you can just see right away, as opposed to having to put your film through a chemical bath and processing it, and oh, making yeah. it. That was the game changer in Boogie Nights. <laughs> okay, yeah. Burt Reynolds, and you don't have to slander yourself oh, by yeah, the video. You've okay, I see what you mean, right? Yeah, he yeah. Was, dude, he was fighting it like crazy. He was like, "No, like, this is what we do," and it like killed him because he failed to embrace the technology. Uh, yeah, well, 
I don't now know why everybody... that's the most outstanding part that I remember from. Well, I remember one other really big <laughs> thing from Boogie Nights. Hit <laughs> with your dad joke. I fire away. <laughs> what's your favorite Paul Tam- Thomas Anderson film? I didn't know Paul Thomas Anderson made it. Um, I, I, so sadly, and I need to get better. It's not like film is not like authors. When I read books, I'll remember authors and I'll gravitate towards them because I yeah. enjoy their writing style. I don't do the same with filmmakers, man. It's like a film for what, for the film. That's good. Yeah. I look for more of the plot more so, but I think it's a lot of my own ignorance. Cause I don't, I know I can enjoy a good shot. Like, like nothing without you. I like the style of like the close face-ups. It was very intense. And it, to me that added to the intensity of the movie. And I was like, Ooh, cool but I don't know if I'm ignorant to the subtle effects of what a director actually imparts on a film, but I am aware of dialogue plot choices and how that affects my engagement in a film. Does that make sense? Makes total sense. And you know, the, the, you, you know, film, film isn't a lot of things. It's the most immersive, uh, you know, I, I see it as an art form, but it's, it's entertainment and it, films were made to entertain people. And if you have a different level of appreciation, that could either distract you or it can open it up for you. So it doesn't matter. You just, you know what you like. And right. a film is supposed to be something that, you know, is you, you, you watch it because it entertains you or transports you or, you know, whatever on a deeper level, you, you like it for something. Maybe you, you think about it or you don't, or it's just, you know, makes you laugh. Right. No. Yeah, exactly. It does something emotionally to you that you just enjoy that emotion being brought out or enhanced in you. But they were made to sell tickets initially. Right. (laughs) And directors and producers were aiming higher and higher to create a higher, what they call, you know, production value to make their films or their studio uh, stand apart from another. And that's kind of what's happening with the streamers, right? They're, they are, I mean, a lot of it's intellectual property. It's, you know, Star Wars versus DC Comics versus, right. you know, all this stuff that is competing. But the, the same thing applies is the, at the end of the day, it's more, you know, everyone's trying to create more entertaining work, but they're also trying to get something innovative, something that's never either been seen before or something that's been seen before it's been done in a new way. And that's the story of, you know, the visual medium of, a film of whatever it's called now. Right. Yeah. Right. That, <clears throat> and that's what I think a director is attracted to is, you know, how he or she can bring something, you know, there's nothing new under the sun, but how can they tell a story in a new way that is gripping and, and fresh, uh, pushes the envelope in one way or the other. That's, that's the challenge. I think that it, that really <clears throat> attracts a, a director, producer, writer. I'm really curious about NYU college and how impactful going to a film school was on you. Like, does NYU help you to be more creative or does NYU help you? What did you call it? The avocation and vocation? I loved it. Like did NYU basically make sure that you could always make money shooting and then you just kind of get these little sprinkles of cool creativity or did it really enhance your creative thought process and how you present your visions? That's a really good question because that I am a professional. <clears throat> I had a view of it before I went and I had a view of it during and I had a view of it after and, and it, and it hadn't changed that much. What I huh. understood of NYU 
was in a way a contrast from other film schools. NYU a lot of times was compared, and there's so many more film schools now, thank God. Um, but there were uh, fewer uh, when I went, and there was there was the biggest one was the big two were USC and NYU. UCLA was big, and Columbia was big too. But USC was more of a you know it's an in, it's in it's in Southern California. Yeah, right. It's in, in the industry town. So there was this um, kind of uh, idea that the students there would read the trades, like the Hollywood Reporter. You know, like they'd be very focused on the industry and their craft and the specialization of, you know, I'm a director, I'm a producer, I'm a cinematographer, yeah. and this is what I'm studying and this is what I'm going to excel at. And, and almost the network, you know, I would think too, like the benefit you would yeah. go out there and you would try to get whatever internship or you would hope to come across these particular right. people. Yeah. And it was very focused on the business yeah. of Hollywood because you're there and there were, um, and that was, you know, practical in a way, but also you're, you were exposed, you know, there's Lucas and, and Spielberg were, were very involved in the development of what USC is now. <clears throat> so there was, there was a sense that, you know, you, you, you're not getting a, a pass to the next level. You still have to start over, but you're really getting an idea of the lay of the land of how Hollywood works from what you're studying to who your professors are to kind of the direction of the school. Contrasted with NYU, which was more of, you know, you think of Martin Scorsese and mm. Oliver Stone and, you know, some of the alum that um, Spike Lee, you know, he's very involved still, that oh, really? there was huh. the sense of New York versus L.A. in a way that make the film, you know, think about it's uh, getting it done, more sort of focus on, you know, the artistic merit. Not that you, I'm not trying to say that USC and, and I was, I was about to say it when you were but, explaining it though. I was, I can be the guy who's shady cause I don't work in the industry. It seemed like <laughs> but, it did it, it. When you were describing it, that's immediately where my mind went, where like NYU yeah, so, would be about the art and you or USC would be about the business, which makes sense. Cause if the majority of the business is where USC is, it would make sense. Like, dude, it is a business at the end of the day. Right. Well, I'll give you an example. Like if, there, if you do a thesis film, it, and this may have changed, but if you do a thesis film at NYU, anybody can do it as in the film program. You just have to get into that. You know, there's there's a there's narrative one, narrative two, and then there's I forget the thesis class that you would do. And almost anyone who's wanted to get into it, you could. You can direct a film, or you can be specialized and say, I really want to focus on cinematography while I'm here, editing. But everybody wants to be a director pretty much that goes to film school. It's I mean, the power. You want the smart the power. ones are more specialized because they can get work right out of college. You know what I mean? Uh, but, um, but whatever we, what, what NYU did also for me is give me a false sense of confidence that you can do it because the difference between that, that when you got your thesis film done is you own the film because you paid for it. Okay. And in at USC, there were only a select few that got to direct their thesis film. They had to get approved for it. And then there, and then the negative was owned by USC. It was in a vault. So oh, they owned it, wow. right? Almost like a studio owns a film when you produce for them. Yeah. Right. So there was this, diff, this idea that you can, you can just do it, pick yourself up by your bootstraps. It may not be uh, commercially viable or it may be because of, you know, you try something no one else had, right. but there, that was the thing I got from NYU that I enjoyed. Some people didn't like it because the business of filmmaking really, you know, you had to really search for the classes that focus on that and you could miss it 
by getting a lot of good technical stuff and watching great cinema from, you know, the twenties onward and really applying that to what you're trying to make. So you could really be high minded and, and lofty while you were there. But then when you graduated, you know, you're, you're, you're maybe interning or you're working a job that's not in the, in the field and trying to make a living while you're pursuing your dream. And I've now become an expert on the subject I like most. Getting to know Thanks to Zachary, whose name I recently misspelt on a Instagram story. Again, I already publicly apologized. Zachary, quit being so nice. If you could just yell and curse at me, maybe publicly scorn me, I would feel better. Thank you. Despite my public disrespect of your extremely nice and unique name for coming on the Getting to Know You Pod, be sure, listeners, to subscribe to the aforementioned Getting to Know You Pod to get his full episode when it's released tomorrow. Thanks to AndrePsyche.com for sponsoring the Getting to Know You Pod. Go to AndrePsyche.com for unique, thoughtful merchandise with a story behind it that you, dear faithful, loyal listeners are not going to find anywhere else. Before you stop listening, please push that subscribe button on Spotify, Apple, iHeart, or whatever podcast platform you pushed play on. Did you enjoy this short story? If so, and you're listening on Apple, can we get five stars? Four? Maybe even one? just so I know you're out there. No, I'm just kidding. Don't leave one. Please, for the love of God, don't leave one. You can also friend and follow the Getting to Know You Pod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And finally, if you or someone you know would like to expand your market and get word out about your brand or product, consider partnering with the Getting to Know You Pod. Our rates are extremely reasonable, and we are looking to partner with businesses that follow our vision which is we love talking to, getting to know, and meeting all sorts of people from all around. If that's something you're down with, just message us through any of our social media platforms. And if that's something that you actually enjoy listening to the pod, if you've subscribed, um, your support would be very much appreciated. You can go to our Patreon and for as little as $2 a month, continue the work that we are doing here. That's a wrap.